all bad things. Tragedy. Tragedies, disasters. That's bad things. Trigger warning for everything possible. What? Hello. <laughs> I'm Rachel. And I'm David. And this is All Bad Things, wherein we're in a miracle sode. <laughs> And we don't have to talk. Well, we're not in a miracle sode. About, so, well, we're not living out a miracle sode, <laughs> but you know what I mean. I'm glad we covered Grenfell, and I'm glad we're done covering Grenfell. Yeah, me too. That was rough. Yeah. That was really rough, especially for three episodes, which we weren't sure. We didn't know that that was going to happen. So um, follow us into Twitter, Facebook, All Bad Things Pod. You can email us, allbadthingspod at gmail.com. Rate, review, or scribe. And uh, hopefully I won't make anybody tear up this episode. Aww. It was... I li- I thought it was sweet. Did you listen to the episode? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What did you think of it? Uh, I was just like, that was probably unnecessary, but I just couldn't help it at the time, I guess. Yeah. I don't think there's anything wrong with genuine emotion. No, I don't either. Yeah. But we're a professional outfit. Oh, yes. And we so have to, professional. We have to stay in the moment. <laughs> we can't let the moment get bigger than us. <laughs> Also, because we're done with Grenfell, we're back to goddamn motherfucking cussing. That's right, motherfucker. Yeah, shit, right. Son bitch. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's really funny, too, because when I, you know, I said, we, well, we let a couple of little curse words through, yeah. but otherwise we really cleaned it up. A couple of our loyal listeners were like, oh, I'm disappointed that you're not swearing. <laughs> the exact same day somebody said that. We got a review that said, good show, could do without the cursing. So basically, we can't win. <laughs> we cannot win. That's why, so, that's why I don't even bother trying to. Yeah, yeah. There's no, so, there's no point. Now, we'll probably feel less like swearing this week. Sure. Because, like I said, we get a miracle this week. Because we deserve a miracle. It's been rough the past few weeks. It has. So now when I say miracle soap. Today we are doing the quintessential miracle sode. Miracle on 34th Street? Do you know what the Miracle on 34th Street is? I don't really. What is, <laughs> what is it? I just know the movie. It's I've a never movie. Seen, yeah, I know. I've <laughs> That's never, all it is. Yeah, it was a oh, joke. Oh, okay. okay. So you didn't think it was based on an actual <laughs> true no, event? Okay, no. good. I've never good. seen it. You've I never just seen know, Miracle on 34th no, Street? I just know it exists. So... It, there's well, Doesn't there's like die or commit suicide or something. Or? I think you're thinking of it's a wonderful life. That might be what I'm thinking. Of. Yeah, I think that is what I'm thinking of. That I've is never another seen that classic either. Christmas movie. So the original, I I don't think I ever saw the remake with Mara Wilson as the little girl, but I saw the original with Natalie Wood as the little girl, and uh, the basic premise is that um, a little girl meets a like department store Santa that claims he is actually Kris Kringle. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's yeah. that. It's okay. that one. Mm-hmm. And it all ends up. So is being that a... is that what we're doing? No, I'm kidding. But the location is the same. Oh, how about so New York City? Yeah. Okay. So if I say quintessential oh, miracle, I know, I know New what this York. Is. What are we covering I know today? What this is. It's the uh, 
the landing the plane in the Hudson. Yes, the yeah. miracle on the Hudson yes. is exactly what we are covering today. Did you ever see Sully? I never did, no. Me neither. I think it is on the HBO app. Is it? We I should think so. probably watch it after yeah. this. We're going to talk a little bit about the sure. movie um, in in this episode. but uh, And I'll talk about that... Uh, <clears throat> Tom Hanks is in that phase of his career now where he only plays people that either are alive now or used to be yes. alive. Which I don't <laughs> He's know. He's playing if, Mr. Rogers. <laughs> I don't know if he signed some sort of contract or if that was like a, a a goal of his at some point, but that's all that's literally all he does now. Also, he only ever plays good guys. Has Tom Hanks ever played a villain? I'm not sure. He's played flawed people, but yeah. never I don't think he's ever played like a I think he couldn't ever play a villain at this point in his career, right? See, I like, think. Just, see, I, I, now that you mentioned it, I think it'd be great if he did. Let's see if he can pull it off. I just feel like at this point he's done it'd too be, much. It'd to, be great to for him to play Mister Rogers, and then in the next movie, be like a serial killer or something <laughs> like that. Maybe, maybe he can play. Um, the uh, the serial killer from Wichita, the guy that they just caught. Oh, a co- BTK. Uh, BTK. He could play Dennis him. Ray. Yes, he could play him. I'm going so, to I'm going to find Tom Hanks on Twitter and mention that. So Tom Hanks goes from playing Mr. Rogers to <laughs> the BTK. <laughs> I think that would be an awesome professional arc. I'm sure his agent would be like, no, <laughs> his agent never do no, that. His agent doesn't care. He's getting his twenty million dollar quote per movie. Fair whatever. enough. Yeah. However. His son, Colin Hanks. I actually do follow his son. I'm going to mention it to his son. He has played a serial killer on Dexter, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. And I could be mistaken because... No, no, no. He did. He absolutely did. It was in, like, after... Dexter jumped the shark, like, to an appalling degree. Um, yeah, but, I, never, I never finished it. Yeah, it, it was good for a while. But, but his son, Colin Hanks... The less charming Tom Hanks is his son, Colin Hanks, mm-hmm. um, played a serial killer in that. Interesting. Like a religious-oriented serial killer. Yeah, because Colin Hanks is part of some film festival or something like that that oh, I follow, like a- and I wound up following him. But yes, I, I will, or maybe during the episode, I will contact Colin Hanks and say, <laughs> hey, reali- your dad realize your dad's BTK. playing Mr. Rogers. I don't even know if there's a script or anything for BTK. It doesn't matter. I'll write it. <laughs> He has to but play Dennis Tom, Rader. Tom Hanks has to play Dennis Rader. The current Dennis Rader. Like, well, he's still alive. Well, that's what I'm saying, but yeah. he's older now. He couldn't play a younger Yeah, they, they can act. do this. Yes, they can do the CGI face stuff now. Yeah. Or they can just swap him out for another No, act. it has to be Tom Hanks doing <laughs> everything. Doing and, all the killing. And the killing. All yes. the killing scenes. And uh, doing recreating the photos that we saw when we went to go see last podcast. I don't know if you remember oh, those. I, I don't, actually. I do, because they were pretty... Fucked up. Maybe that's why I don't remember them. Yeah, and Tom and Tom Hanks has to recreate those photos too. (laughs) Should we get to the miracle soda? We're not off to a promising start. No, we're not. (laughs) Sorry about Tom Hanks. (laughs) So on January fifteenth, one day before your birthday, I didn't didn't realize it was then. Two thousand nine, U.S. Airways. Ten years. Yeah. I didn't realize it was that long ago. U.S. Airways Flight 1549 narrowly averted disaster when it landed belly... Well, it wasn't actually belly first. I wrote that before I, like, finished all the research. But anyway, it's, landed... Yeah, thankfully, it wasn't belly up. Landed in the Hudson River in New York City, resulting in zero deaths and only a handful of serious injuries. It was... This is a, a 
Miracle sewed, even though I don't actually believe in miracles. I think merit. But you know what I realized? Miracles are the opposites of disasters. Yes, they are. They're disasters averted, right? Mm-hmm. That's a miracle, I guess. Anyway, my sources, main sources for this episode were, of course, Wikipedia, sullysullenberger.com. Oh, okay. <laughs> All that's interesting. Science ABC, Wired, The New York Post, On Wisconsin Magazine, ABC News, The National Transportation Safety Board, Esquire, and Inside Edition. Oh, I'm, nice. I'm getting better at naming most of my sources. I will uh, tweet Inside Edition about my uh, Tom Hanks, Dennis Rader <laughs> uh, proposal as well. Inside Edition. I used to watch Access Hollywood. That used to be mine when I was a kid. The one girl, I can't remember her name, that hosts, it's either Access Hollywood or inside edition uh was going to clemson when oh. i uh when i was um vicariously going to clemson oh, okay then it, i can't remember her name it at wouldn't the moment, be anyone I, can, I know i can picture her face maria menounos no 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 it's not her i don't know it's who she is actually nancy odell was not going it is to yes Greenville. yeah nancy odell she's way older than you i don't think so really no she's been around forever yeah Maybe she was just super young when she started. She could have been. Yeah. But yeah, that's her. It's she Nancy and Pat Adele. O'Brien before he got super creepy. Well, he was probably always. before. He, well, I mean, before, before it was he, revealed before that he, he yeah. was caught being yes, super creepy. That's, that's Again, sorry about the other. Uh... So, <laughs> so after the abject horrificness that was talking about the Grenfell Tower disaster. Can I just say I, I have the new BTK idea. <laughs> um, Tom Hanks has to kill Nancy O'Dell. <laughs> so I can't. Sorry. I think you think that's sunnier than it actually is. <laughs> well, I mean, like, figuratively speaking, not actually. Well, of course not. I'm, I would hope you're not. But Nancy O'Dell has to be in the movie as, like, one of the victims. I gotcha. Okay. All right. Can I move on? I guess. Okay. Uh, so after we talked about Grenfell Tower for three episodes straight, I literally typed disaster averted into Google. Because I'm like, we need a miracle stone, so... Um, to find something nicer to talk about. Now, there was literally like two pages of search results that only um, only, re- only turned back. Apparently, there was an episode of How I Met Your Mother called Disaster Averted. And so like the first three pages were all about... Was that the uh, series finale? I don't think so, but anyway. I'm kidding. You know. <laughs> Just... Okay. Uh, well, we're not talking so... about it. We're not talking about a freaking... Uh, high rise on fire this no, week so, so it's, we're it's, we're a little punchy now yeah. yeah because of it so i finally i after all the how i met your mother references i saw this disaster reference and i was like okay look no further this is clearly it this is the quintessential miracle sode right and um also emily has wanted us to do this mm-hmm. for a while. so so it's thursday january 15th 2009 at laguardia airport in new york new york and LaGuardia is in which borough? Uh, wherever the, the Mets still playing Queens? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's Queens. Mm-hmm. I'm, I you, actually you can, don't know where the Mets play, well, but you yes, can see, you're right, it's Queens. You can see the stadium from mm-hmm. right from the airport. We flew out of LaGuardia mm-hmm. to get to Rochester. Yep. Mm-hmm. yep. So, now, I don't even know if this is even necessary to go through, but for the sake of it and, like, knowing we have a... Technically, we have a global audience... Um, well, not technically, we do. Yeah. yeah. There are five boroughs, neighborhoods in New York. Queens is one. They're laid out really weirdly. Like, I, I kind of actually looked at a map of New York City, and I'm like, 
it's really sort of spread out and weird. Like there's a peninsula, mm-hmm. there's an island, mm-hmm. and then there's another island. Yeah. And it's it's yeah. Anyway, um, so Manhattan, what most people think of when they think of New York City, is the little peninsula that sticks down to its west is New Jersey, and to its east is the Atlantic Ocean, basically. And like northeast is Connecticut. Yes, yes. Now, to the west of Manhattan, the island of Manhattan, is also the Hudson River. And the state line between New York and New Jersey is in the middle of the Hudson. That's right, it is, Mm -hmm. yes. So now as for Queen... So Staten Island is another borough that's kind of to the south. It's its own island. And from what I gather on, like, basically every TV show that takes place in New York, they talk about Staten Island very disparagingly. (laughs) (laughs) never been so i don't know <laughs> i have taken the ferry there okay but we didn't like actually stay we just took the yeah. ferry because lucy took the ferry on i love lucy i don't think so. i've ever been to queens either other than the airport the airport yeah. yeah um so then uh um shit what is uh the Br- the bronx mm-hmm. is north of manhattan wait i said there were five boroughs and i'm about to name six I, I don't know. I think I'm fucking up New York City. How did I do that? Okay, so there's <laughs> Manhattan, Staten Island, the Bronx, Queens, Brooklyn, Brooklyn Queens. and what, Long what Island. That's six. Long Island's not a borough. Long Island's not a borough? No. Oh, well, I gave I gave Long Island borough status, so that's where I was wrong. I, I don't think it is. <laughs> I think Long Island is just Long Island. I hope. We don't have Whatever. a huge New York City contingent. At any rate. You, everybody who's listening has a smartphone. Look it, <laughs> look it up. Look, at look it up yourself. Maps. So anyway, the, the the other three, well, two plus Long Island, who knows? So, so Brooklyn, Queens, and Long Island are all on an island together. Just to the, like, southeast of Manhattan. So, okay. so Queens, where... LaGuardia is, this was such an unnecessary rabbit hole to get into. This was such an unnecessary geography corner. Anyway, LaGuardia is like on the northern part of Queens. Like you can basically look across the river and literally see Rikers Island, the notorious island where they keep all the prisoners. So anyway, um, that's the East River. So the East River is to the east. The Hudson is to the west of Manhattan. And feel free to correct. Um, now, just so it's because it's January, New York, it's cold. It is dead of winter, cold, right? Not as cold uh, as where I grew up. Well, but, but okay, any, but, but let's anyway. not get into a upstate versus. It's, it's, uh, it's New York City cold. <laughs> it is New York City cold. Specifically, the temperature that day reached a low of 14 degrees Fahrenheit Whatever. and a high of 21 degrees Fahrenheit, which is negative 10 to negative six Celsius. Whatever. <laughs> so, and it's everyone in New York is bustling around. That is actually pretty cold for New York City. It, is. it usually doesn't get that cold right. there. In this horrible dead of winter yeah, the cold. The southern part of New York does not get nearly as cold no. as, as where I grew up. Um, including those coming in and out of LaGuardia. Like what you just described, temperature-wise, mm-hmm. I'm not even joking. That's uh, probably mid-December to mid-February where I grew up every day. I know. Yeah. Maybe the audience does. They, they might. Not. <laughs> hey, if I can talk like a know-it-all about Miami, you can talk about like a know-it-all about Messina, New true York. upstate yeah, New York. because there's yeah. so much to know. <laughs> 
It's a cultural bedrock of, of the United States. A beacon of hope to the rest of America. Beacon of hope to Canada. <laughs> so about so almost one and a half million passengers came in and out of LaGuardia that month. In January of 2019. It's a busy airport. It's like... Oh, yeah. It's not one of the... Like, literally one of the main hubs in the U.S. So it's like the 20th busiest airport. But still, it's one of the three major airports in New York. New York City traffic, too. So So one of the flights scheduled for that day was United Airlines Flight 1549. It was scheduled to depart from LaGuardia to its first destination of Charlotte, North Carolina. Mm. Uh, not far from where we are now. It's like two and a half hour drive southwest from here, mm-hmm. near the state line with South Carolina. And from there, it was going to continue to its final destination on the West Coast, SeaTac, or the Seattle-Tacoma Airport in Seattle. So Flight 1549, the plane was a 10-year-old Airbus A32214, big passenger jet. Fairly new plane. Yep. Uh, It was carrying 150 passengers on this journey, along with five crew members. And many pictures this episode. Here's our first one. This is the crew. Okay. So that is Captain Sully Sullenberger. That's uh, Tom Hanks. (laughs) He doesn't really look like Tom Hanks, but that's okay. This is Jeff Skiles, first officer, co-pilot, right? And then I apologize for not knowing which lady is which. But these Nobody are three flight these. attendants, um, Donna Dent, Doreen Walsh, and Sheila Dale. I love that their names are Donna, Doreen, and Sheila. They sound like flight attendants' names. Yes, they do. Yes. But like from the... From the 50s. It, yeah. Like from, um, <laughs> what was the big uh, carrier back then? Pan Am. Pan Am, yes. Mm-hmm. They sound like they, and maybe they did work for Pan Am at one <laughs> point. So... There's going to be so many asides in this story, so we're going to take our first one. Obviously, all of these people are important people in this story. All five of these people all did marvelous jobs in this story, as we will come to find out. But let's talk about our flight crew. Most specifically, one Sully Sullenberger and also Jeffrey Skiles. So, uh, obviously, the most prominent figure in this whole story was Sully Sullenberger. They did a movie about this whole disaster, and it was named Sully. <laughs> now, uh, and it starred... Tom Hanks. <laughs> BTK. Dennis Rader as oh. Sully Sullivan. Oh, man. So, uh, Sully Sullenberger, his name is Chelsea Burnett Sullenberger III. His nickname is Sully, obviously. If my name was Chelsea as a man, I would, I would also... definitely go by a nickname. Yes, and I never am. tell anybody that my name was Chelsea. <laughs> I've never heard that as a really Chelsea. Yeah, I've but it's never not. Heard. It's it's spelled C H E L S E Y, not E A. I'm he's American born. I'm yes, assuming. yes, I've never. Yes. And he's a third, so this is a family name. Oh, I guess well, that it's makes an sense. old fashioned yeah. name, you know, like Ashley, like from Gone with the Wind. It was a man's name back in the 1800s. It still can be, like, Shannon can still be a man's well, name, Well, that's, that's, Shannon's fairly, fairly common as a man's, as a unisex name. But, uh, but there's a lot of unisex names that are more um, but, no, I've associated nev- with one gender or the other. Right, but, but I've never heard Chelsea. Yeah. Weird thing, and this is reminding me of this, like, back in my advertising selling days, mm-hmm. a guy that owns, uh, it was like a window supply company, something like that. But His name was Valerie. As a man, Val. I've heard Val. I, yeah, like as yeah, like Val. But no, his name was Valerie. Valerie. Yes. Huh, 
Okay. Same thing though. I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure he told me it was a family name. Yeah. Yeah, that would make so. sense. Yeah. And and also, I bet a lot of unisex names were because um, parents wanted to propagate their mother's name, or uh, you know, if there were male children born, but they wanted to propagate like like say a man wanted to name their next kid after their mom. And it was a boy sure. like, well, we can get away with this. And likewise for women passing along a male name. So anyway, <laughs> shall we get back? <laughs> we should, yes, we should. So Chelsea Burnett Sullenberger III was born on January 23rd, 1951. So at the time of this disaster, his birthday was like a week away. Oh, yeah. <laughs> his 58th birthday was a I week away. I was trying to do the math. Okay, so he's yep. 57. He was technically 57, yes. Uh, he's a Texan. Born and bred from Denison, Texas. And we have several loyal listeners who are from Texas. So Hook'em what is horns? this? I don't know what I'm That's doing. Hook'em horns. Oh, okay. Uh, or it's also that, the Wahini that, or whatever. It does not apply to everybody in Texas. We just offended some listeners. Oh, is that like saying go wolf pack? If I'm meaning all of North Carolina. Yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, Much go, more relevant, though. This is go Texas. Yay. I've never been there, but they have no state income tax. Oh, there you go. So, Denison is a small town about 75 miles north of Dallas along the Texas-Oklahoma border. So, kind of middle of nowhere. Uh, And he had an affinity for aviation from a young age. He was fascinated with planes. He liked to build model planes, which is like, that seems like the quintessential kid from the 50s and 60s Mm -hmm. hobby. Building model airplanes. So, and he watched... Planes fly out of the nearby and now defunct Perrin Air Force Station that was near his hometown. He was a super smart child. He qualified to join Mensa at age 12. Wow. <laughs> yes, that's how I actually he I actually know what that is. Yes. Do you know, name a famous actor, and by actor I mean of either gender, who's a member of Mensa? I don't know. One Gina Davis. Oh, okay. Yeah, she's a smart lady. Um, she's also very tall. She is. She's like six feet tall. Yeah. Yeah. Very striking woman. Uh, So to qualify for Mensa, you have to be in the 98th percentile of IQ scores. So he was super smart even as a kid. And he was basically the top kid in his class all growing up, right? So he's just the smart one. He's that kid. He's the valedictorian kid, right? In high school, he was the president of the school's Latin club, and he was a flautist, a talented flute player. A talented flute player named Chelsea, which is probably why in the 60s he went by Sully instead of Chelsea. I imagine uh, in Denison, Texas, they probably weren't going to be too kind to a boy named Chelsea who played the flute. So Uh, He learned how to fly at age 16. Okay. I could barely learn to drive at age 16, so I am highly impressed with that. Same. <laughs> okay, I mean, there's less traffic <laughs> up there. So as many aviators do, he decided to go the military route. Sure. And enrolled in the U.S. Air Force Academy, where he earned his bachelor's degree. And we have his class photo, his graduation photo, little Sully. <laughs> He's so young, isn't yes, he? Yes, he is. You can see it, though. You, like, you can mm-hmm. see yeah. when you compare somebody, you know, from when they're super young to 50 years later. Well, it's not 50, 30, 40 years later, whatever. Yeah. So, in his little uniform, mm-hmm. all very buttoned down. Well, he was a smart kid, so he's probably yeah. pretty, um, pretty dapper. disciplined. Yeah. And, yeah. 
So the Air Force then sent him to get his master's degree at Purdue. I believe it was in mechanical engineering or something. I mean, he's a smart man. So, And after that, he was a commissioned Air Force officer and sent to undergraduate undergraduate pilot training program in Mississippi. And because he went to college, went the officer route, even though he was born in 51, he didn't see action in Vietnam, he was going to school. Sure. Right? Because he would have been 18 and 69. Mm-hmm. He, he would have could've. been like the prime yes. age of going to Vietnam. Exactly. Prime time of going there, too. Exactly. But he was in school, and that's it's one good. of the ways to get out of Vietnam. Good for him. Mm-hmm. And, but, and, but that, he, and, and that wound up saving uh, hundreds of people's lives 30 yeah, years later. That's right. But he didn't go to Vietnam. Yeah, yeah, right? So, yeah, exactly. So he wasn't active in the Air Force, like as an officer, like actively serving until 1975. So a couple years after the end of Vietnam. And he served from 1975 to 1980. And while in the Air Force, he also served on the Aviation Accident Investigation Board. Mm. So he had an interest in airline safety, or I should say in aviation safety pretty early on. And he left the Air Force having achieved the rank of captain. So like everything else, he succeeded, right? Because he's just he's just one of those people. Uh, That's the impression I got. He's just one of those people who just keeps their head down, does their work and does it well. Mm -hmm. You know, he went immediately into civil aviation after leaving the Air Force, signing up to be a pilot with. Pacific Southwest Airlines. Oh. So Pacific Southwest Airlines was apparently known for being sort of like the cutesy cheeky airline. They operated on the philosophy of, quote, long legs and short nights. <laughs> okay. Well, it was the 1970s. Their flight attendants were like pink little hot pants. It was very, yes, it was the, it was the 80s actually oh, okay. at this point, but it, well, when he started, actually, I should say, it, flying for them, it was the 80s. But yeah, prior to that, in the Pan Am days, it was, they used to be really brutal on how they screened flight attendants. Like, you, there were weight requirements and height requirements, and you had to wear short skirts and shit. Oh, it was bad. It was okay. really, really sexist. And basically, like, sexual assault and harassment were expected and part of the job from passengers and crew so it was not good right now there's a woke person on twitter uh tweeting about how awful pacific southwest airlines used to be i don't know that anyone knows what pacific southwest one person listening does and now they're gonna tweet about it (laughs) so apparently herb kelleher who went on to found Southwest Airlines. That's what I was going to ask. Was Did it inspired? break away from? No, okay. no. He created his own airline, okay. but he was inspired by their sense of humor. Okay. He went the less sexist route and just went like friendly and jokey and, right. you know, a little more uh, fr- friendly. Fun. Yeah, fun and friendly sort of a thing. Uh, so Pacific Southwest Airlines ended up merging with U.S. Air okay. in 1987, which itself was rebranded was U.S. Say, Airways in mm-hmm. 1997. Mm-hmm. And U.S. Air doesn't exist anymore. Nope. Right? 2015, it merged with American. That's right. Okay. So there is no more U.S. Air. So there's Airways. three defunct airlines. We've yeah, already oh, made it's, uh, Airlines, that has happened so much. So in the meantime, during his career as a civil uh, pilot, well, civil aviation, not a civilian, not uh, in um, the U.S. Air Force. It took me way too long to say that. Sully met and married fitness buff and founder of Fit and Fabulous Outdoors, Lori Sullenberger, okay. <laughs> born Lorraine Henry. 
And they adopted two daughters who were born like in the early mid 90s because they were teenagers when this happened, when the miracle on the Hudson happened. Professionally, Sully remained an overachiever and basically just never stopped after he was a kid. He was a union man, a member of the Airline Pilots Association, where he served as a safety chairman and became known as an accident investigations expert and instructor. So he's seen a lot of what can go wrong and worked a lot on how things could be improved, Mm -hmm. right? Plus, you have a career starting in the 70s. Like, you've seen a huge evolution of safety in aviation, so... And he uh, that uh, he, that also include he included he uh, served as an air accident investigator in at least one case with the National Transportation Safety Board with the NTSB, and he also collaborated with NASA on a safety related paper mm. in aviation. So, and by the time of this fateful flight, Sully had amassed. 19,663 total flight hours. And that's civilian. That's just with his his time. Mm -hmm. So obviously he had more experience than that, but that's just that logged hours. Now, sitting next to Sully aboard Flight 1549 was his co-pilot, First Officer Jeff Skiles, who is 49 at the time. Also doesn't really look like Aaron Eckhart, who played him in Sully, but... If I were him, I would not complain about being um, portrayed by Aaron Eckhart because he's pretty hot. But that is Jeff Skiles. Epic stash. They both have epic stashes. Yeah, that's true. You're right. Yep. So uh, so they were nine years apart in age, roughly. And, and also simultaneously trying to bring back the 80s. Yes, with the, with the impressive stashes, indeed. So in many ways, Skiles... Background was actually really similar to Sully's, so he too learned to fly at age 16. Both of Jeff's parents were pilots, so it was basically in his blood. It was like his destiny to become, um, like, uh, I was going to say, like, both of his parents were Jedis and he was destined to be a Jedi, but that was going to be some weird sort of, but I guess I said it anyway. Mm -hmm. Anyway, he was a University of Wisconsin grad, where he got his degree in geology and geophysics. So also an intelligent person, I would imagine. And he, too, was a longtime U.S. Airways pilot. He flew for them for 23 years at the time of... Had flown for them for 23 years at the time of this accident. And in spite of Sully having a few years of pilot experience on Jeff because of his age, Jeff actually surpassed Sully's logged mileage. He logged 20,727 flight hours. So uh, they, they this was an experienced cr- flight crew, right? Oh, yeah. But this was only Jeff's second time flying the Airbus A320. He had just qualified to fly them. So it was kind of a new aircraft. The way he put it, it was like they would train pilots on different, like, okay, here's all your Boeing training. Now here's all your Airbus sure. training and so all forth. All the different manufacturers. Yeah. Because they're probably, yeah. the controls and stuff might be a little different. Right, right. Now, Sully and Jeff did not know each other well at this point, at the time of this accident. And in fact, they had only met each other a few days earlier. So this was not like some team that had been working together forever. They were very new to each other. Um, but they would soon have to work together to save their own lives as well as the lives of the other 
153 people aboard the flight. So let's go back. January 15th, 2009. Flight 1549 was cleared for takeoff around 325 p.m. local time. And Jeff was the one at the controls for takeoff. So he was the one actually controlling the plane. It was not on autopilot. He was physically handling the plane. So less than two minutes after taking off, Sully commented at the beautiful view from and relatively clear skies. And he said, what a view of the Hudson today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they were going to get a much closer view. He didn't know that at the time. Yeah. Now, unfortunately for those aboard flight 1549 that day, a flock of Canadian geese also agreed that it was a lovely day and they were making their own flight above the city. And yes, major animal harm trigger warning here. This is not going to end well for the geese. Spoiler alert. Now, here's something um, to avoid thinking of next time you're on a flight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> While we humans are up in the air in our big old airplanes, there are also creatures up there who were physically evolved to be up there and to do so without any apparatus. They are called birds. <laughs> um <laughs> Now, to be clear, there are technically other animals that can also hit planes like bats, but oh, okay. but sure. in, the birds are kind of the main concern, right? So when a bird hits a plane, it's called a bird strike, right? Known as a bird strike. And it's almost always fatal for our poor little fine feathered friends. The And bird strikes have a long history, as in Orville Wright long. Sure. So in 1905, Orville... Because the birds of 1905, they're like, how is, the how is there something else? Of the, yeah. What are you doing up here? So in 1905, Orville, literally one of the first two people, along with his brother Wilbur, to achieve flight. In an airplane. In an airplane. Correct. In an air, airplane. Um... And this was just this was just two years after they completed that flight. So it was 1905. Orville was being a dick and chasing birds in his plane, like literally chasing birds in his plane near a cornfield in Ohio. And lo and behold, he hit one. It like flopped onto his wing and he like pitched the plane a little to slide it off. So, yeah, Orville. That's pretty that terrible. That was mean. Yeah. <laughs> Now, since those early days... I'm guessing they left that scene out of the movie. (laughs) Since those early days of flight, bird strikes have been disturbingly common. There are an average of 13,000 bird strikes. Oh, wait. I'm flying next weekend. Okay. Uh, Are you really concerned? Okay. But now that I'm thinking about it, like, oh, man, we're doing an airline episode. It's a miracle set. Understandable. It's a miracle set. But now it's going to jinx it. No. Mm. No. There are 13,000 airstrikes, or bird, bird strikes. strikes, I should say. <laughs> Not airstrikes, sorry, that's something different. That's a lot. Bird, bird strikes per year in the U.S. That's not global. That's just the U.S. Well, I mean, uh, there's probably, in the U.S., there's probably 13,000 flights a day that take off, so... Yeah, I don't. I didn't look that up. Yeah, the percentage is probably pretty small. Well, here's the thing. The uh, bird strikes very rarely so rarely lead to any human harm it's harmful to the animal the animal almost always dies so like it's inverted right almost always fatal to the bird almost never fatal to the humans so 
But (laughs) this, I just went down a little rabbit hole, a little bird's nest, I guess. Uh, These strikes, along with our dizzying consumption of birds as food, make us basically bird mass murderers. I mean, that's the, the food alone would make us mass murderers. But to be fair, apparently cats in the continental United States every year kill an estimated 1.5 to 3.7 billion birds every single year. Damn. Now, that led me to think, how many birds are there in the world? (laughs) Do you want to know? Because it's kind of creepy. 25 billion? 200 to 400 billion individual wow. birds. So if they did want to turn on us like in the birds, they could just kill be us no all. problem. It, they, they have us outnumbered like 40 to 60 to 1. So it's just ridiculous. So Plus they'd always have the advantage on us because they'll be in the sky. Yes, they can dive bomb us. Mm-hmm. Well, but we can be and, in the sky and too. See, and see where we can go. Yes, they can. Yes, they can observe us aerially. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can see what I commented on this. Holy shit. Yes. <laughs> Anyway, a tiny fraction of these hundreds of billions of birds were in the flight path of flight 1549. At 3.27 p.m., so we are talking two minutes after takeoff, they were spotted by the flight crew, and uh, Sully Sullenberger very succinctly stated, birds. (laughs) Uh, Jeff responded, Whoa. Now, trust me, we're going to discover these guys are pretty unflappable. No pun intended. Mm. Get it? Unflappable. Mm-hmm. Uh, nevertheless, they they instinctively flinched and ducked. <laughs> because, see, these geese, these poor little Canadian geese, probably just trying to get south for winter. Although they're a little late. Maybe they're, t- I don't know. Um... They were uh, too close for them to get around. They couldn't maneuver the plane around them. And uh, in a second, a second later, at an altitude of 2,818 feet or 859 meters, just a few miles away from LaGuardia, they had only just taken off, right? There was a sickening banging sound as the birds hit the engines, followed by the smell of burning birds, and then the engines went silent, which is not good. Mm-mm. Anyone who's been on a plane knows it's noisy, right? Mm-hmm. So, and you want it to be because that means the engines are working. Um, now, here's the thing: when I said the birds hit the engines, I mean both engines. Mm-hmm. So, if you lose one engine, you got another one. Well, they didn't have either. These birds, poor little guys and gals, t- at, took out both engines of the plane. They were ingested by the engines. Now, considering bird strikes so rarely cause any harm to aircraft, this this one bird strike is kind of one for the books because it took out both engines, right? The silence <laughs> when the engines cut out was described by one flight attendant as being, quote, like a library. End quote, and you do not want your airplane to sound like a library. So, Skiles allowed himself an O expletive. Now, I say O expletive because that's how all the transcripts put it. Mm. In Sully, I watched the crash scene. He says, oh shit. And I'm pretty sure that's probably what he said. And Sully responded, 
Yeah. <laughs> Again, these are succinct men. So Sully took over the controls and told Jeff, his co-pilot, okay, there's a checklist for everything, right? <laughs> that's not what he said. I'm saying that. There is a checklist for everything in aviation. That's been developed and known to be an effective strategy for making sure that stupid mistakes aren't made. It's it's done in uh, um, medical situations. It, checklists are good. They did a hidden brain on it. I recommend checklists. <laughs> anyway, um, so he grabbed the emergency checklist for like literally both engines failing in the middle of the flight. Um, but the and the aircraft had slowed down, obviously, because it lost all thrust. So it wasn't able to go forward anymore. But it did remain propelled and climbing in altitude just because of the momentum for like 19 seconds. And then, of course, it <laughs> what goes up must come down. Mm-hmm. And it basically turned into a glider. Mm-hmm. It was just starting to glide down. It didn't nosedive. Right. It was literally just descending. Yeah. Now, Sully calmly radioed air traffic control. And I mean calmly. The recording is available. And you'd think this guy was describing what he ate for breakfast or something. Very even toned. Um, later, Jeff would comment that uh, the level of this level of calm is because of the procedures that pilots have drilled over and over again. Because of this repetition, they themselves almost go into autopilot when Mm -hmm. a scenario like this arises. Jeff described it as being, quote, almost like a choreographed dance, end quote. They rehearsed for this, right? They practiced for this. They knew what they needed to do. Sully said the same thing. He said, quote, I never thought I was going to die that day. I was confident we could find a way to solve all the many problems we faced. End quote. So there's no panic. That's that's a guy you want to have on your side. (laughs) Yes. For damn sure. Yep. Sully also commented later on how well he and Jeff naturally worked together. Remember, they only met a few days earlier. He said, quote, even though Jeff and I had just met for the first time three days before, if you had watched us work together, you would have thought we had been for years. We had been for years because we were able to collaborate wordlessly in an emergency where there was no time to talk about it. End quote. Wow. So th- these two were consummate professionals. It kind of reminds me of um, like when you're a musician and th- there mm-hmm. are just other musicians you can you just, just click, click with. with. Yep. Mm-hmm. Same thing like uh, playing sports. There are yep. certain guys, like especially playing you, hockey. chemistry, right? There are certain guys just mm-hmm. automatically, you, you're just, you know what, what each other is going to you're do. You're on the same wavelength. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so Sully calmly told air traffic control, quote, We've lost thrust on both engines. We're turning back towards LaGuardia, end quote. He was able to turn the plane around. So he was maintaining left-right control, right? Like he, mm-hmm. couldn't, con- he couldn't control that they were descending, but he could still maintain control of, uh, of the horizontal plane, mm-hmm. as it were. So the pilots did not have a long time to decide what to do. Uh, Jeff was working his way through that, emergency checklist for this situation that Sully had told him to do. It was a three-page checklist, um, and it really was designed for loss of both engines at, like, cruising altitude. So 28 and to 30,000 feet. Yeah, and they're no, they nowhere are near cruising altitude. 10% that height, <laughs> yeah. right? So now they, if they had been further up, they would have had longer to figure out what to do. However, 
they also would have been falling from a much higher height, and that could have ended up a lot differently. Yeah, I don't so, think the plane would have acted like a glider from 30,000 no, feet. No, exactly. That's, that's the issue. So air traffic control suggested trying to land at runway 13 at LaGuardia, and that Sully responded, quote, we're unable. We may end up in the Hudson, end quote. Wow. So he was pretty much like... Look, it's like it's looking pretty. I've got looking, my plan B in the back. He's like, of my head. he's like, kind of like, he's like, for damn sure, we're not making it back to the airport. Yeah. Well, so now let's talk about the Hudson River, right? So the the Hudson is a much bigger river uh, than I had ever known. It's not just a little river that mm, runs. It is. It is it, not. It comes from the Adirondacks. Mm-hmm. So its source is at Lake Tier of the Clouds in Keene, New York, up in the Adirondacks. It flows southward for 315 miles, mm-hmm. or 507 kilometers, and drains into the Atlantic Ocean via New York Harbor. It's one of the main reasons, uh, not just New York City area, but the state of New York has always been, since pretty much since the day it was founded, um, a worldwide economic power because of this river. Because it could trade, mm-hmm. because of effective and trade. When they, yeah. And when they put the... Um, the canal. Why, why can't I think of the name? The Erie Canal. When they built the oh, Erie okay. Canal yeah. to run, not parallel, crisscross with this. Okay. I mean, even more. So mm. this is a major that makes sense. trade. Hub. Yes. From way back. Mm-hmm. Because back when water was the main way. The to, main, yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the Hudson is a very important river. Yep. And the Hudson widens pretty significantly near its mouth as it, it leads towards the New York Harbor. And that resulted in the need to build the George Washington Bridge over the Hudson and the Tappan Zee Bridge, mm-hmm. as well as the Lincoln Tunnel and the Holland Tunnel to span. I'm not sure if I've ever been through those. I don't think I, don't I, think have, I have been. I think I've, I've been, been on a... both of those bridges. Yeah. Yeah. So. I've seen both of those bridges, I'm yeah. pretty sure. Um. Yeah, so, I'm, I'm pretty positive I've never gone through either of those tunnels. There was a, a funny I Love Lucy episode where she learns how to drive. I mean, because it's the 50s and not everybody knew how to drive, especially women, right? Back in the day and uh, because of patriarchy. And uh, she is driving this gigantic, you know, like, because every car is a boat the cars back, then. back then. Yeah, yep. huge. And... Uh, she ends up accidentally going the wrong way in the Holland Tunnel. <laughs> that was the... That might be a problem. Yeah. So when surveying his options of potential emergency landings, Sully kind of saying, hey, we may end up in the Hudson, it really wasn't out there. The portion that they could potentially land in was about 4,000 feet wide or 1,200 meters wide. That gave a good wide berth, right? And that would give plenty of clearance. Plus, it's a long river, so they could go forward, too, right? Now, air traffic control continued to troubleshoot. Obviously, their job is where can we safely land them, specifically at an airport. (laughs) We want to land them at an airport. The water is pretty much their last option. Yes. Now, all of this, this whole time, like the, the cockpit voice recorder would later show, like... The, the plane's, like, automated systems are starting to give back warnings, right? There's lots of dings, lots of alarms. Probably collision warning lot, going yes, off. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Air traffic control suggested another runway at LaGuardia. Sully responded, quote, I'm not sure we can make any runway, end quote. And he suggested, he's like, well, what about Teterboro Airport, which was across the Hudson on the Jersey side? 
Air traffic control said, okay, yeah. And it was open to the idea. And they asked, quote, you want to try and go to Teterboro? End quote. Sully responded, yes. But also went on the PA to announce to the cabin, quote, this is the captain. Brace for impact. End quote. He's like, we need to get everybody ready for whatever's about to happen. And they were running out of options very quickly, right? Sully asked Jeff, quote, got any ideas? End quote. Like, is this the, our only option at this like, point? Like, are we really doing this? To which Jeff responded, quote, actually not. End quote. And so the decision was made. The plane glided only 900 feet above the George Washington Bridge, oh which especially God. in a post 9 11 I wasn't war, even thinking about that. But yes. Yeah, Jesus. And this is the middle of an, a weekday afternoon. Well, it doesn't matter. There's always but traffic. Still, on it's the... not the middle of the night. Like, right. this is being witnessed. Can you imagine driving on the no. GW Bridge oh, and, and looking up? I like, guess I. Fuck. I was eight years earlier. I was not thinking of that, but absolutely, people Mm -hmm. were probably freaking the fuck out. Like, like, are we going through this again? Exactly. What are they about to hit? Jesus. Yeah, Yeah. I never thought of that Mm -hmm. wrinkle, but yeah, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're sitting on that bridge watching that shit, that's exactly what you were thinking. You're like flashing back. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Jeff was only able to make it through one of those pages of emergency procedures, and he was working. He was working through it. It was just, they did not have much time, right? So at 3.31 p.m., gliding with no power at an estimated speed of 140 miles per hour, 230 kilometers per hour, flight 1549 flopped into the Hudson River on the New York side, roughly parallel with West 50th Street in Manhattan and Port Imperial in Weehawken, New Jersey. The whole ordeal had lasted 208 seconds, so roughly three minutes. I was going to say, well, okay. almost uh, four minutes. Not quite four minutes, like yeah. two, three and a half minutes. Three, we'll call it three and a half. And what a three and a half minutes Jesus that was. Um, here's the flight path. So you can see. Oh, yeah. Can you hang on oh, with this? Yeah. So this is, uh, they took off from LaGuardia. That number is where they got hit by birds. Mm. That's where they make the turn. And all of this happened in less than four minutes. Yeah. Wow. So, because, <laughs> because Flight 1549 landed in the middle of a river, a major river, in the middle of one of the most populated cities in the world, in the middle of a weekday afternoon, plenty of people saw this mm-hmm. happen. One witness commented, quote, it wasn't wild or erratic, but if as it was landing on a runway... End quote. So it just looked like a plane coming into land on water. <laughs> and then, yeah, and then maybe some people saw that too. We're like, oh, well, <laughs> is this new? Is this is a new? This what we're doing now? <laughs> Sully would later say, quote, my thought right before we touched down was this is going to be bad. But when we stopped in the water and it was obvious the airplane was intact, stable, and That's floating. An amazing thing. Jeff and I turned to each other and simultaneously said, that wasn't as bad as I thought. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Can you while, imagine? While, while everybody in the plane, except for the flight attendants, uh, all make a beeline for the bathroom because they all just shit their pants, <laughs> which is what I would have done. So, indeed, the ditching... And I'm surprised that the damn thing didn't sink. 
Well, I mean, planes let's keep are going. okay. Let's keep going. So I guess the, I don't know why it didn't. But well, I'm sure there's it a reason. wasn't nose diving, so right. it didn't plummet in. But still, it landed as though it were on a runway. They controlled it to maintain flat. Understand, but the thing still weighs good. tons. It does, but let's keep going. Okay. So. Um, the ditching was surprisingly smooth, all things considered. The flight attendants compared it to what they called a hard landing. Like, okay. they're like, there was no bounce. It was just a, and we've all had those flights, mm-hmm. right? Where it's like, Ugh, yep. when they land. And then there's that horrible, like, <sighs> yep. when you rush forward. There was none of that. There was just the rough landing, and then, and then that they, was that. It was just nothing. It, yep. They were just smooth. Then they glided now, on the water probably for a little bit. No, and then, it basically no? just stopped. Wow. Okay. The plane, but now the plane itself was being carried southward in the current oh, sure. of the river, yes. right? So that there was that movement. Um, there was impact, no bounce, and then the plane slowed down, eventually stopping, though still drifting because, after all, it was in a river. I said all that. I don't know why. I just kept reading it. Okay. So throughout the ordeal... After Sully's instruction to the cabin, like brace for impact, the flight attendants had been working to instruct passengers on what that meant. So the brace position Mm -hmm. to um, clarify, although you should always be aware of your aircraft's um, safety procedures, is to I have to demonstrate because nobody can see me, um, (laughs) is to fold forward. And wrap your arms underneath your legs if that's not possible to put your arms on the seat in front of you. Do you know what the logic of that is? I had never no, thought about it. But um, uh, I saw a flight attendant explaining it in a video. The idea is if you crash, you're going to get thrown forward, right? Because mm-hmm. the plane is typically not landing tail first. It's landing, you know, it, not in this case, but generally nose first. You're going to get thrust forward. Mm-hmm. That could lead to all sorts of injuries. The idea is to put your weight forward so that there's very little throwing mm-hmm. to be done, right? So you're 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 just gonna you're you're, already, you're kind of going with the impact. the impact exactly exactly instead of going against it. Right, right. So uh, yeah, so that's that's the idea. Now um, the bracing as well as the competently handled ditching, resulted in zero casualties from this emergency landing. Of course, it was still a big impact. Plenty of bumps and bruises from a physical standpoint. Five people did sustain more critical injuries that had to be treated, including flight attendant Doreen Walsh, who had a bad laceration on her leg that ended up bleeding and needing to be treated. So. So the, as soon as the plane hit the Hudson, it started taking on water. So let's talk about your thing about it sinking, right? There was a hole in the fuselage near the back. Mm-hmm. And some of the cargo doors had popped open. So the back part of the plane started to submerge pretty quickly. Sully entered the cabin and literally yelled, evacuate. He was like ordering evacuation. But the flight attendants had actually already started. Oh, So okay. they were on it. So the flight attendants instructed those who were able to climb over their seats towards the front of the plane to leave the aisle for those who were less able to do that so that they could come up that way. Sure. Yeah. Um, one passenger described it as controlled chaos, but that the flight attendants actually took control pretty quickly and was able to get everybody out and in a relatively orderly fashion. So they weren't able to use any back exits 
they had to use the forward exits as well as the emergency exits over the wings. Mm-hmm. And the a, this uh, Airbus, the A320, was equipped with slides, inflatable slides, right, that came out from the emergency exits mm-hmm. that could also detach and become rafts. Oh, yeah, so I remember that seeing was that. The, yes. that was the... the mm-hmm. Um, configuration Thank God for that, because you know how fucking cold that water let's, would have been? Let's keep going. Damn. So um, so the plane was quickly emptied. Sully himself walked to the cabin twice to confirm that there was nobody left in it. By his second round, making sure that nobody got left behind, the water was waist deep on oh, him. Man. So this thing was going, was taking on water. Once convinced everyone was off, he joined the others. He tried taking a head count. Like, trying to count all the passengers, but it was obviously very difficult to do Mm -hmm. at that point. And then they waited. (laughs) So, the plane was, like I said, the plane was equipped with these slides. So, many of the passengers were waiting on the slides, which were partially submerged. So, they were, like, wading knee-deep in the frigid water of the Hudson River. Um, The water temperature was uh, 41 that day. (laughs) With, like, 20 degrees outside. So, it was just... It was cold. But, man, their freaking adrenaline is probably going so they probably couldn't even feel it. Here's a picture of it. Jesus Christ, you that's right. Yeah. yeah. So you can you always take the picture. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so you can see the people on the slides, but not everyone went on the slides no. because they were getting pretty crowded. So some people stood on the wings. Mm-hmm. And that's those people who are kind of extended out that way. Um, wow. Y- yeah. Uh, a few people were afraid that the plane might explode or sure. that they that there wasn't enough room. So a few people actually did swim for it. Really? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, Sully pulled out his cell phone, which was still working, in his pocket. He called U.S. Airways. He reached... An- <laughs> He's like, hey, if you didn't catch that, we just <laughs> well, landed. Well, here's the funny <laughs> thing. He reached an airline's operations manager who was very short with him and said, we have a plane down in the Hudson, like to give an excuse. And he was like, he literally responded, yeah, that's me. I know, I'm the guy. <laughs> I'm the plane. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm this person. Yeah. He's like, I'm well aware of that. It's me. That's why I'm calling. Uh, and then Sully went on to call his wife to be like, okay, you're going to see something. But here's the thing. I'm okay. Jesus Christ. Um, and Jeff lost his phone during the flight, um, but he was able to borrow someone else's phone and call his wife, Barbara, and be like, hey, I'm okay. Um, he had three kids, three teenage kids, so, like... Good on Jeff for remembering his wife's number without needing his own phone. That's right. Do you know my <laughs> number? I know yours. Don't say it. I'm but. not going to say it. Uh, I think I do. I okay. think I'm confident at this point. I know yours well. Yeah. Mostly because I enter it for the Harris Teeter Rewards oh, every time. <laughs> So, uh, fortunately for all involved, the first relief arrived within four minutes of the ditching. It did not take long. Also, speaking of Mm 9-11, you would think that eight years later, well, eight and a half, uh, seven and a half years later. Yeah. This is January 2009. Yes, that's correct. So, seven and a half years later, you would think that emergency response is, in New York City, Mm -hmm. is, they know what to do. And they were. Mm -hmm. So... Well, they did that day, too, but I'm just saying, yes. Well, on the day of 9-11, I'm just saying you would think that by now, it's really like this is just, they well, got it down pat. And the interesting thing is, it wasn't just like, although, yes, lots of cops and emergency responders, but there were, the first people to reach them 
were on public ferries. Okay. Because they're like, hey, hey we're right we here. Gotta, we got to go get them. So em. it was actually um, the Thomas Jefferson and the Governor Thomas H. Keene ferries were the first to arrive at the site. Nice. Um, and then obviously lots of other rescuers after that. Helicopters, Coast Guard, yes, for ex- everything. The whole bit, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sully advised that they evacuate those on the wings first yes. because those on they're the slides the, were the in actual risk. rafts. The yeah. people on the wings are at the biggest yes. risk. By 3.55 p.m., which is like 24 minutes is all it took, all 155 people were rescued. No shit. They were out of the Hudson in less than a half an hour. That's how quick this was. So the whole ordeal, because this the whole yes. flight lasted less than four minutes. Yes. This whole ordeal lasted less than a half hour. Well, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. I mean... It's, it's a... From uh, 327 to 355. Yeah. 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 So think of a ha- 28 minutes. <laughs> think of a half hour from now. Right. We've just survived a plane crash and have made it back <laughs> back ashore cool. just fine and in one piece. Imagine that. Ha- Holy shit. And it probably felt simultaneously like it all happened in a flash and like it all took a thousand years to happen. You yeah. know? Yeah. Like that weird time thing. So obviously everyone had to be evaluated. Like, are you okay? You know, did you get hurt and everything? Uh, 95 people did sustain minor injuries. Sure. Now that could include bumps, bruises, scrapes, like, you know. And of course, hypothermia, because yes, e- well, I imagine it was worse than the people who decided to swim, but at least they got plucked out of the water pretty quick. I hope so. <laughs> so they had to be warmed up. Um, most people were treated on site. And released, which is fantastic. Uh, imagine not even having to... Uh, Just being like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm good. All right. Although 24 aboard the flight and two rescue workers actually did have to go to the hospital. Okay. Two passengers spent the night in the hotel, but still, for all of that and two people... Spent the night in the hospital? Uh, did I say the hotel? Yes. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the, hotel the, 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 the hotel with the IVs and the nurses. <laughs> It'd be nice if it was like that. <laughs> right. But, yeah, we can only dream. <laughs> right, the hospital, sorry. Um, the only long-term physical injury was one passenger whose eyesight was damaged by jet fuel and now has to wear glasses. <laughs> Still. Still has their is sight. That, is that the worst thing that came out of a plane crash? Is, I have to wear glasses now. You'd feel pretty damn lucky. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Very fortunately, no pets were on board. Oh, okay. So the Didn't think only, of that. The only, yeah, because they would have drowned. The only casualties were our poor little geese friends. Mm-hmm. So. Damn Canadians. <laughs> but I guess it could be said that at least they met a quick end. So yes, they did not that's suffer. For sure. They did not suffer. So, of course, the ditching was. Immediately. I mean, you read this and it reads like a movie. Like they made a movie. They did make a movie of this for a reason. It reads like a movie called Sully. Yes. And it was immediately coined the miracle on the Hudson. Sully became the face of this whole thing. He was the national hero of it. He and Jeff were sequestered in a hotel for a couple of days. Sure. To, to keep, just yes. be like, because think about in this 30 minutes, not only have you gone through all this, but now literally everyone in the world wants to talk to yeah. you about it. The world it. media yes. is coming to your door right now. Yep. Plus, plus you're in the media hub of pretty much North yes. America. Yes, yes. So, uh-huh. God. Yep. Yeah, so... Number one, let's let's get our story straight. 
Number two, let's prep you a little bit for yeah. how to deal with the media. Yeah, because yes, that's right. Not, an average person does not have to have. You just stick have a microphone in their yeah. face, and mm-hmm. they're, they're going to be like, "Huh?" Yeah. You know. So. Yep. And they were employees of an airline that now had to account for what happened. Mm-hmm. So they had to be careful of what they were saying. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So the NTSB obviously needed to do an investigation. So. They recovered the plane from the Hudson, remarkably intact, on January 17th. And there's a pretty remarkable picture here. Oh, here's the rescue scene. You can kind of see the sinking plane. mm -hmm. This is after everybody's been rescued. You can see that's the ferry, though. Yep, and you can see all all the ships. Yeah. This is the plane being pulled from the Hudson. That's what happens when you don't grab the picture. (laughs) I'm just getting on your case. Do you see the ice in the Hudson, by the way? Oh, yeah. I'm kind of surprised because the Hudson flows pretty well, but yeah, it was obviously a cold winter in New York that that year. Yeah. In New York City. So you can see it's intact. Mm -hmm. It's actually very much intact. The only part of the plane that detached on impact was the left engine, which they were still able to recover. Which was useless anyway. Yeah, (laughs) it was. The plane itself was thoroughly inspected, and among the evidence found was, well, feathers... (laughs) And, quote, organic debris. Yeah. Meaning poor little geese bodies. Mm -hmm. So it was pretty clear right off the bat based on that. Just an accident. The witness statements, the Mm -hmm. pilot statements, the data recorder, the cockpit voice recorder, it was all recovered. It was pretty clear that, yeah, birds birds took out the engines. Unknowingly, unwittingly. Now, apparently, in the movie Sully, which neither of us have seen, uh, the NTSB investigators are portrayed being more like prosecutors out to get Sully. You have to have a narrative. Well, and that's the the thing. Um, In real life, both the investigators involved and Sully deny this completely. They were like, no, everything was amicable. Sully understood what they were doing. They respected Sully. It was all... I'm sure they were being like lawyers trying to prep somebody for the stand. Like in that vein, maybe? No, you know, but... no. They, they were leaving, which is exactly what any investigator should do. Their minds open to all possibilities. Oh, okay. But they were not trying to frame Sully, which apparently is what the movie kind of made yeah, it out sure. to be. Even uh, Tom Hanks himself admitted that they basically took that. Kind of made that up. It was for, yeah, it was for narrative dramatic purposes. Apparently, initially, the script included real names of NTSB investigators. Yeah, let's not do that. Sully was an advisor on that film, obviously, Mm -hmm. and he insisted they take him out. Uh, According to Hanks, Sully said, quote, these are people who are not prosecutors. They are doing a very important job. That's, uh, by the way, Sully had done too many times yes. before. And if, for editorial purposes, we want to make it more of a prosecutorial process, it ain't fair to them. Right. Unquote. So he was saying, like, look, if you want to dramatize it, whatever, but don't nail this. We're like, don't make, make it sound we're gonna like make it's real. We're going to make people up, too. Prote- yeah. it's, let us acknowledge that it's pretend. So. Now, as part of their investigation, the NTSB did run flight simulators, and apparently this was also heavily dramatized in the movie, but uh, flight simulators to see if it would have been possible for the plane to have still landed at LaGuardia or Teterboro. Um, sure. And those were ideas yeah. floated by both the air traffic controller and Sully, right? They and were like, okay, can it, we do this? It's also worth 
investigating to see, well, could it have happened? Right, just to for see... For future... Exactly. Yeah. How should we be advising yeah. other pilots in the future with this type yeah, of we don't, thing? We don't want them to all land in the Hudson from right, here on out. We right. want to see if they can make it to one of these two places. Right. But most of the simulations did not go well. Didn't turn out favorably for the plane. And even the NTSB considered the sim- simulations unrealistic and not counting <sighs> wow. for real-world considerations. Yeah. They're like, look... Yeah, some of these simulations it, worked, like, but it's not even... Like, like yeah, like it broke the sim- simulator. <laughs> like, it had never thought of this. Right. So the NTSB released its report in May of 2010. The cause of the crash was concluded to probably be, quote, the ingestion of large birds into each engine... <laughs> Canadian geese are not small. No, which resulted in an almost total loss of thrust in both engines, end quote. The report went on to specifically praise Sully and Jeff and their decision-making skills, saying the best decision possible was made. So they basically did the exact right thing. Not only did they do the exact right thing, they of all the options, they z- zoomed in on and picked the exact right thing. That they wasn't, prepared for it. Yes, they were prepared for it. Mm-hmm. They used their expertise, their knowledge, their experience, and they did it. So it was perfect. It was as perfect an outcome as anyone could ever hope for. It is this. absolutely that. Yes. No casualties. No. Very few injuries. Yeah. And and no no lasting injuries. And they recovered the plane. Yeah. yeah. And were able to thoroughly investigate it and everything. They also called out the quick and appropriate action on the part of the flight attendants. Absolutely. In yes. their evacuations. They They deserve credit too. Absolutely. They are also professionals and one of their major jobs and most important jobs is the safety and well-being of the passengers and they did the exact right thing in saying get out right now come on this is how you do it plus also they had to show people how to brace because most people don't mm-hmm. look at the, the safety card right and they attention. had to well I'm sh- i think it might have been part of their training but they had to be quick of mind to be like anybody who is able go over the seats because we need the aisle for people who are Mm -hmm. maybe injured or i read in one source that apparently one passenger was actually in a wheelchair oh and they were able to even evacuate that person like that yeah so that was good but but i believe flight attendants are trained to know where vulnerable people might be people who need assistance you know probably and to uh, and apparently there was also like a a kid on a lap sure and you know so yeah they had to deal with a lot of uh, shit and so they were called out as also being very good at their jobs in this case the report also noted that there was some luck at work here, right? Like the fact that they were using an Airbus A320, which was a long haul um, aircraft on a short haul domestic flight. And for that reason, the Airbus had those slide rafts, which was oh, not required otherwise, okay, of a, a standard plane. Also, it carried extra life vests, which obviously people had put on. And that also was not required of planes that were normally fly, like flying this route. So they were in the right aircraft, basically. Um, yeah, because this plane is probably used to going over the Atlantic and stuff like right. that. Right. It's it, it's a transcontinental, mm-hmm. absolutely. And then um, the other... They're like, no, today we're going to Tacoma. <laughs> the Stopping other... in Charlotte on the, way, on the way there. The other point of luck is that they landed in a major waterway in a major city. 
And didn't even hit anything in the water. No, yeah, that's I mean, also... Well, that was also yeah. on Sully's part and Jeff's part. Yeah. He, he called out... Sully called it's out not Jeff. Like, it's not they like were there's, watching for... It's not yeah. like there's nothing traveling on the Hudson River. No. There are ships all over they the place. They had to look for a spot that they could land, and they very specifically did so. Yes, it was incredibly smart under incredibly high pressure. Imagine being on that fucking ferry and seeing a plane headed, no headed right shit. for you. Oh, my God. But... They, Jesus, yeah. Talk about a, a given the circumstances, mm-hmm. the most perfect outcome you could possibly have. I mean, Basically, really. That's why I say this is the essential. Even if like, even if like said. two people died, that still would have been oh, that's close to perfect. You know, it's it would have been still a great outcome. Yeah, considering what it could have been. Jesus. Yeah, con- considering what we've seen happen before. Yeah. Now the report did still make safety recommendations. 34, in fact. Um, but it mostly was procedural, right? Yeah, like Number a, one was we have to kill all the Canadian geese. <laughs> all 200 million of, billion yeah, of them are we have to find one. them and take them out. <laughs> Damn Canadians. Terminator style. <laughs> so they recommended a better checklist for low-altitude emergency landings. Like, you know, Jeff was working from this horribly long checklist because it was thought that there would be more time. They needed a better checklist Like, we might want to get that down to one page because that's all he could get through. (laughs) Yep. Better engine testing for bird strikes. So, like, okay, if this happens again, how can we make engines better able to withstand this, right? These are big, like you said, these are big birds. Maybe if it had been, like, a little canary... It wouldn't have been a big deal. I mean, I saw them all the time growing up, so I kind of take them for granted. We see but, them here all the time. That too. But people who have, or who, oh, who are internationally, sizable. who have never seen one, they're, they're, they're mean big. Too. They are mean. Geese are mean. They are. They don't like you to get oh, too close to them. No. And they'll chase you. Mm-hmm. They chased me as a child. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like you're having a PTSD episode. A little bit. So, when we lived on a farm in Minnesota for a little they, bit they when I was a little me kid. As a child. <laughs> We had um, we had chickens, which are also kind of sons of bitches sometimes. The roosters are mean. Roosters are mean. They pecked my sister's eye once. But <laughs> I, another, I don't another, like birds very much. Flashback. <laughs> but we had six geese, and they would hiss. Mm-hmm, they do. And chase you, mm-hmm. especially when you're like six. Yeah, they don't really care. So. They're, they're just like, I'm going to do what I want. <laughs> they're they're yeah. mean sons of bitches, yeah. so... Um, also, they suggested, hey, how about we just have these life rafts and extra safety vests on every flight, regardless of whether we're, it's short or long right. haul? And, There's a good chance we're going over water somewhere. Uh-huh. And they were also like, we also need to make sure that people are paying fucking attention during those safety breach briefings. At the, you know, oh, be, which, do. yeah, I know. I never do. <laughs> but uh, that's, it's, uh, no... Listen, at, the, at this time, know, but at this time, I'm I've been through so many of them. But if I had told you, assume the brace position, would you have been able to do it? Now I can. Well, yeah. prior to my explaining Yeah, it, actually, yes. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I probably and would have done I'm, the arms on the seat I'm well leg. aware when I'm sitting next to an emergency exit. Mm-hmm. Like, I read the thing of, okay, let me make sure I know how to use this. Right, and you're also... And it's not that hard. You really have to pull up on something and the door yes, pushes uh-huh. out. And you also know that, like, you're the last person out, basically. Yep. Because you're responsible for everybody. Well, they, I, they'll I, come by and tell you. Yes, like, if you're you sitting that. where the emergency exit is, like, you're willing to take on mm-hmm. this risk. And you're like, yeah, whatever. I don't mind that. I feel like no. that's kind of... I would want to do that. Like, hey, come on, everybody, get out. Yeah. So, ironically, that fateful Airbus A320 made it to Charlotte. 
<laughs> Guess where it is now? At the Carolinas Aviation Museum in Charlotte. Oh, wow. Okay. We need to go see yeah, it. I was going to say. <laughs> well, you're going to be in Charlotte I next week. Uh, yeah, in just a little bit. So, yeah, I need to go see that. I so, think the last time I was in Charlotte was for the Bills Panthers game. That was oh, two that years was, ago. Yeah, a couple years ago. So, in spite of the fantastic outcomes all the way around, PTSD is a son of a bitch, as we learned. And a lot of people's lives changed in many ways after the so-called miracle. I mean, like, it's... There's just a lot of shit comes up when shit happens. I know that was such a (laughs) profound thing I just said. (laughs) But it's... You know, near misses can be just as scary as... Well, I mean, I guess it's all technically near misses, but but I mean, nobody died, but still, this well, is no, scary. Uh, George Carlin used to have a, a joke that it's not a near miss; it's a near. He's like he's like crashing would be a near miss. He was like surviving it is a near hit. Oh yeah, fair, that's true. Fair point. <laughs> so. Fair point. So um, so a lot of people had to deal with that. You know, that's and I'm sure there's a lot of. Um, that's why I was saying I was well, plus pondering. They, plus, some of those people had to deal with the media too. I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. Plus, I was pondering. You know, like I was like, yeah, you know what? The opposite of a miracle is a disaster, and the opposite of a disaster is a miracle. You know what the difference is? Circumstances. I mean, yeah, That's really, all not it much. Is. It could go one way or the other. It could go any way, and it's not. I mean, I don't want to. We're not trivializing believe, it. Yes, and if yeah. someone believes that it's by design, That's fair fine. enough. Maybe you're right. I don't personally, I think it's just just as easily as we could all be bam and gone and that that whole hunt air, aircraft, we could have been doing this as a normal episode of 155 people dying just as easily as we could have been doing a miracle episode about it. Yeah. It's just circumstances. When Thanos snapped his fingers and killed half the population, it wouldn't have happened that way if he somebody just prevented him from finding the other gemstone. Is this Marvel I, shit? I honestly haven't seen the movie yet, but it's Avengers Spoiler Endgame. Spoiler alert, I guess. Oh, yeah, maybe we should. <laughs> oh, oh, well. It's been out for a while, right? It's been out for like five months. That's that's enough. If you were going to see it, you would have seen it by now. Okay. So I hope I'm not spoiling anything. I don't even know what any of it means. And frankly, if you're into it and that was a spoiler for you, like... Sorry. There's so much better art out there than Marvel. And by art, I just mean like all art. <laughs> now I'm sounding like uh, Roy in in the office. Pam, your art is the best art of all the arts. Yes. <laughs> okay, I'm going to continue. So, Sully, of course, was basically like the face of this entire thing. He w- he went from being like little 57 year old smart Sully to national fucking hero mm-hmm. in. 28 minutes right yeah (laughs) basically uh now this was okay january 15th 2009 what was happening in america around that time well my birthday was about to be the next day well aside from america celebrating your birthday Uh, maybe maybe also the first black man was ever going to be inaugurated as president in the united states (laughs) was that that a big deal (laughs) i think it was just a few days later so both new president Barack Obama and outgoing president Baby Bush, GW, personally thanked him. So imagine going from like, yeah, I'm just a guy who does I'm my just job somebody. to, thank you, Mr. Two president. Yeah. yeah. He was honored at the Super Bowl 
that year. So, hey, Sully, you get to go to the Super Bowl. And we're going to call you out and, and a whole stadium full of people is going to know who you are and cheer you. He had like interview after interview after interview with the most famous journalists in America. And in the world, too, I'm yes, sure. Yes, yes. Now, personally, he was going through some things. Like he could barely sleep. Um, his blood pressure shot up mm-hmm. and stayed there. Mm. Like he was having physical symptoms of stress. And his mind just kept playing those 208 seconds over and over and over and over yeah. again. Um, yeah, I'll bet it did. It, he was just like, what ifing? Like, not only what if something worse had happened, but did I do the right thing? Because I'm like, We've said this turned out as well as it possibly could could have, but people had to go to the hospital. It wasn't Mm -hmm. like it was nothing. So if you felt like you were in charge of something and people even ended up getting hurt, if you're a professional who takes their responsibility seriously, you're probably going to still feel burdened by the fact that that happened. And his mind was saying to him over and over again, like, yeah, but could you have spared that? Could you have done anything differently? You know, obviously he couldn't. He literally did. And everyone agreed, including the NTSB, that he did the exact right thing. And it was just circumstances. Even the flight simulator was like, yeah, no, <laughs> we, we've never trained for this. <laughs> um, but of course, his family was hounded by the media his press junkets put a strain on his marriage for a bit you know it's it's just suddenly their entire existence seemed to be centered around a three minute period of time in one of their lives and that was all anything was about yeah when you put it that way that's really it we just turn everything upside down yeah. Absolutely everything. Mm. You're dealing with all that personal shit. It's affecting your family. You have to present yourself to the world like you're in the spotlight you never have been before. It was just a super stressful time. Now, it took a while, but Sully has said that he was finally able to sort of integrate this whole experience and everything that resulted from it um, into his and his family's life in a healthier way. He's still married, so his marriage did not fall apart. He's okay. Um, He did go back to work as a pilot Mm -hmm. a few months later, but then decided to retire pretty soon after. I imagine it'd be a little hard to keep going. Plus, also, he was pushing 60. Yeah, he was probably close to retirement anyway. I just want to stop this this anyway. He's like, this is good. I'm good. Now, that's uh, like, I believe, if I'm remembering correctly, he does still fly like personally probably, yeah, just probably. not just not for US Air or you know yeah. another major airline or whatever um, probably got like a Cessna yeah, right, down or, at the little or whatever, aviation yeah. yard that he tools around in mm-hmm. uh, his last flight the destination was Charlotte <laughs> oh wow okay. where he met up with Jeff and the three flight attendants and that's where that first picture oh, that you okay. was taken yep they met back there for his retirement his basically. farewell mm-hmm he wrote a memoir in 2009 called Highest Duty, My Search for What Really Matters, and that became an instant bestseller. Uh, he wrote another book in 2012. The movie was made about him. He was an advisor. He, uh, I don't know if he still does, but he was um, a, an, an expert for CBS, a commentator oh, okay. for, for aviation-related things. He is currently... <laughs> to make him relive those three minutes of right? his mind all over again. He is currently a world-renowned speaker and aviation safety expert. 
You can go to SullySullenberger.com and book him for an event. I'm sure his fee is high. And frankly... Probably worth every penny. There you go. I, I do not... If ever... I'm okay with somebody capitalizing on something. It's Fuck this. Yeah. <laughs> Plus, I would Go just I would just think I would instantly feel safe just having them around me. Like, you know, like, like if a bomb went off right now, this guy would know what to do. But see, that's the, that's the image he immediately got, like, put on him after... Can you imagine how, like, response... Like, just overwhelming that would feel. But also to him... I mean, he's a well-trained person, but... Right, but in his frame of mind, he's probably mostly thinking, well, that's just what I do. He's probably... He didn't think it was abnormal or, right. or heroic. It was just... Like, how many um, rescue workers, firefighters, police officers do like, you hear? Just like, like yeah, I was just doing my do. job. I, I'm not... You, you, know. Don't, you don't hear a police officer say that, but that's a different issue. I threw issue. that in for just, like, I throw a bone. They're usually like. There are some. They're usually like, do you know how dangerous a job is? Yeah, we know. There are a few good apples in the there police are. force. But I've never um, heard a firefighter say, do you know how dangerous our job is? It's like, yeah, they know. Yeah. We know. Yeah. Like, they don't yeah, have to absolutely. say it. Absolutely. Absolutely. He has been approached to run for political office. He probably no, would get. Do not do that. But he has refused to do so. Yeah, don't do that. And that's very good. He is very. Politi- Why would he even want that? At this point <laughs> yeah, in his life, right. I mean, really, he is has been very outspoken about like get out and vote because that's how we influence elections. That's wonderful. That's representational government. He's just speaking out as a citizen. He doesn't. He's not really political in the sense of like endorsements and stuff necessarily, sure. from what I could tell. So, he is also a suicide prevention activist because okay. his father in 1995. Oh, wow. um, shot and killed himself after major surgery he fell into a depression because of the long recovery period and ended up killing himself so sully is um okay yeah is an advocate for suicide prevention and nice picture nice isn't this the cheesiest corniest cutest little family picture It, it is but hey it's so Hat, hats off to him. So one, it's that's that's what I love. If I saw a picture of this family, so this is Sully, his wife, and their two daughters. I think they're two Kelly. adopted daughters, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, apparently, they had trouble conceiving, so they ended up sure. going an adoption yeah. route. He talked about that in his memoir. Um, so they were fourteen and sixteen when okay. this was happening to their. So imagine having two teenage daughters, and you're dealing with all of this shit too. So yeah, so don't have kids. But. <laughs> it's all of them. It's the girls grown up, obviously, and everything. If I just saw this as like somebody's Facebook, my eyes would roll. Oh, I so know. Far back. <laughs> I'd be like, these are the same people that when answering machines were a thing would have left like a yes. like, like, hi, this is Timmy, this just, is David, this right? is Rachel. They, <laughs> we're not home. It's like I hate you a, people. An orchestrated. Yes, but. Knowing what he went through and what they all had to deal with, this is actually yeah, very sweet. <laughs> it's actually good for them. Yes. They they moved on. They were able to get through all of it. And he was able to say, look, there's actually some opportunity here, too. I can, I can be inspirational to people. I can offer my expertise. And they went. They went for it. And... and Happy to report they seem yeah. like a happy, healthy family. I can use my Still influence today. to improve the lives of people instead of using yes. my influence to put kids in cages at the border. But again... <laughs> That's a different topic. But Let's the, keep going. We're still not done. Oh, geez. I thought... Oh, <laughs> no, we're still, still not okay. done. I thought we were done with the picture. No. And, okay. Jeff Skiles. Oh, okay. Has kind of had to 
he had to come to terms with not being the guy, right? Sure. He was pretty damn instrumental, and Sully's the first person to say that. Yes. That he was was essential to this all ending well. Um, but Sully was the face of it. And that wasn't Sully's choice. That was the press's choice, the media's choice, right? Mm-hmm. So that just is what happened. But to his credit, he has seemed to take it in relative stride um, and actually been kind of grateful for the fact say, that he didn't get all he that. He probably saw everything screaming. that was happening to him and was like, well, yeah. I'm kind of glad that I'm not the guy. Yeah. He was able to pretty much lead an, a normal life. He is still a pilot for now American Airlines because U.S. Airways was bought or merged into American in 2015. He does, however, rake in a nice 10 to 20 grand per speaking engagement, which again, go for it, Jeff. Fantastic. Cash in. Yeah. He he, uh, writes a column for sports aviation or sport aviation. And he and Sully are still good friends. Good. So that's fantastic. I'm still not done. So each of the, now the passengers, right? Each of the passengers aboard Flight 1549 received a personal letter of apology from U.S. Airways, which, okay, nice, but honestly, this was literally nobody's fault. No. This just happened. How often do we have a blameless disaster, aside from natural disasters? Well, I mean, the geese are not innocent. Let's be honest. <laughs> Speaking of rolling my eyes back as far as they can go. Um, they all received a minimum of five thousand. Like they, they were all immediately written a five thousand dollar check for their lost luggage. If they could prove that it was worth more, they would. They compensated more. Sure. Any recovered belongings were returned to them. Obviously, some were lost, but obviously, a lot suffered from PTSD too. Yeah. Of course. I mean, that's horrifying. And good luck getting back on a plane. I mean, honestly, anyone who can fly after that, just like good. Uh, you are a strong human being. <laughs> um, even the air traffic controller, Patrick Harton, had a hard time sure. with PTSD afterwards. He said, quote, the hardest, most traumatic part of the entire event was when it was over. End quote. Okay. Meaning dealing with it wasn't the hard part. It was dealing with the shock of it afterwards. Because when you're a professional or when you just you're are just good at dealing, you know, when you're not a panicker, mm-hmm. and this happens to me too. I am not a trained professional. But when an emergent situation comes up, I get calm. Yeah. And I've seen I, it. Yeah. <laughs> and I, like, let's fucking deal with it. Afterwards, I'm a fucking wreck. And I, I'm going to cry at some point. <laughs> just not while it's going on. But I'll lose my shit at some point later. So some of the survivors of Flight 1549, many of whom were from Charlotte because they were flying to Mm -hmm. Charlotte, right, have actually become close and formed both email and in real life support groups. Sure. So it's very sweet. That makes sense. Yes. And that includes some occasional reunions. So we're going to end on a nice little vignette here. Um, That came from Inside Edition. So... (laughs) Let's talk about Ben Bostic. Sure. Ben Bostic. I didn't realize it sounded like bombastic. 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 Ben Bostic. <laughs> we need to end this, don't we? He was one of the passengers aboard that flight, and when he was waiting to board the flight at LaGuardia, he saw a cute lady and was like, mm, but he couldn't get his nerve up to say hi to her, hit on her. So they sat in the plane. They sat a few rows apart from each other, whatever. And then obviously they went through the whole crash and everything, the same harrowing experience. Well, one of the support groups 
early reunions was that summer in 2009. And Ben went to it and he saw her again. He's like, oh. So he got up the nerve and talked to her and learned that her name. He's like, I can take take better than rejection now. (laughs) Yes. Learned that her name was Laura Zyke. And they talked together until 6 a.m. that morning. So they talked the whole night away. And ended up together in the long term. So I couldn't find any information on whether they are still together, but they were as of like 2015. So okay. at the very least, a long term relationship came out of it. They said one of their favorite songs was Dave Matthews' band, Crash Into Me. I was me. just going, I was honest to God going to say that. I really was. And that, my friends, is the miracle said that we all needed of the Miracle on the Hudson. Yes, yes, we did. Especially after uh, three Grenfell Tower. It was perfect. There's no blame. Nope. Everybody did everything perfectly. No one was killed. The the lasting effects physically were very small. Sully didn't become an asshole. Right. Jeff didn't become resentful. The the survivors supported each other. Mm -hmm. How feel good is this fucking shit? Yeah. That's probably why they had to put in the drama with the NTSB in the movie. Yeah, because otherwise, otherwise it would be a great would have been boring movie. as hell. <laughs> It'd just like, be all like, hey, like, oh, he landed, fine. he landed the plane in the ocean. Uh, he writes a book and he gets commendations. And like, the, yeah, that's not much of an art. Like, yay, every, <laughs> like, everything's good. The, but the plane crash happened like 10 minutes. Like, is this the rest of the is movie? Is this the, all the is movie? This, <laughs> is, is there going to be an antagonist at some point? <laughs> Uh, you said you had something to add about Sully after. This has gone on way too long. I, I thought we were going to be done with it 20 minutes ago. So, whatever. <laughs> it's not, you'd feel it's not worth it. Not really. No. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that felt good to laugh. It did. And curse. I cursed a lot in mm-hmm. this episode. I was making up for lost time. Apologies to the person who said they could do without the cursing, but people have also told me to curse, so... Guys, can't please everybody. Please make up your minds. Yeah. So, yeah, oh, I'm glad we did that. That was nice. Yes, much better than the last couple. So much better. So that was the miracle on the Hudson. Yep. This has been another episode of All Bad Things. I'm David. I'm Rachel. We'll see you next week. <laughs>